Américas underway here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez, Sebastian Salazar, Herc, happy Halloween and Feliz Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, Feliz Dia to you. Uh, Feliz Dia to all my friends out there, all the Americanistas out there. If you're wondering, this is for Dia de los Muertos, a little Jack Skellington, and, you know, obviously, a little kicking and screaming action. What you got going on right there? Uh, La Loteria. A ver, very uh, Dia de los Muertos appropriate. La Triste, ahí está. Oh, there we are. you just need to change it to El Triste, and there you go. Okay, easy, buddy, easy, <laughs> buddy, there with your pro U.S. men's national team ways. Look, lots coming up to do with okay. on this show, which, of course, is available to folks in podcast form as well. Just search in the ESPN FC feed wherever you get your, your podcast. Speaking of Dia de los Muertos, Herc, we're going to play a little rendition of Dead or Alive later with Mauricio Pedrosa. Oof. Review the... Fortunes, the playoff fortunes of a couple big clubs down in Mexico. Julie Foudy is going to join us as well for a preview of the upcoming NWSL playoffs. Plus, we have an interview with Gabriel Slonina. Gaga Slonina, a 17-year-old playing for the Chicago Fire right now in Major League Soccer and absolutely tearing it up in goal. But, Herc, we got to start the show with more bad news for the Mexican national team in their continued quest to qualify for the next World Cup. El Tri will play their next two home qualifiers, Herc, without fans. That on January 30th against Costa Rica, February 2nd against Panama. That after FIFA handed down the latest punishment for anti-gay chants heard during recent games against Canada and Honduras. The Mexican Federation also getting a $110,000 fine from FIFA over charges, Herc, of discriminatory behavior by supporters. Now, we should note, FMF has announced that they will appeal this fine. But the first question to you is, is the fine and the two-match ban, which the Federation also plans to appeal, appeal, is it enough? No, Seb, it's not enough. I don't know how many times we have to get here and we have to keep asking the same things. Last time, two-match ban, by the way, last time they wanted their women to serve that mm -hmm. suspension. It only got reduced to one. They only did one. It's not enough. If we go back to 2014, that World Cup cycle, they were sanctioned and fined 12 times. The lead up to 2018, Confederations Cup, same thing. World Cup versus Germany, same thing. This cycle, by my count, that's over 20 times they've mm. been sanctioned or fined by FIFA or CONCACAF, and we're asking the same question, is it enough? 100K to FMF is nothing. It won't be enough until you really hit them where it hurts. They've got three games on the road coming up. After that, if it's a two-match suspension, it's the U.S. men's national team at home, wherever that home may be, that's where they will open up. But if you really want to hit them where it hurts, if you really want to change something, we're going to have to go point deduction. That's the only way. So I'm with you that the money doesn't sound like a lot. $110,000 doesn't sound like a lot. But let's think about this. Reports out of Mexico are that the Federation nets between $1 and $2 million per home qualifier. Herc, so if we're thinking that Mexico may miss out on five of seven home World Cup qualifiers, you're looking at potentially an eight-figure loss, right? A loss of more than $10 million. That does hurt the Federation for sure. But to the question of is this enough, the only way it's enough, Herc, is if you really believe that it's going to stop the behavior. Just yes, no question. Do you think that this will stop the behavior? No. No. So then clearly, right, it's not enough. And we have plenty of proof of this already. We saw it. There were no fans in the stands against Jamaica, right? Nobody learned their lesson then. As soon as they got back into the stands against Canada, against Honduras, we heard the chants again. It really seems like the crisis that this is is not being treated that way 
by Mexican fans and maybe even by Mexican football, the media and stuff as a whole. I don't need to remind you, Herc, because I've said it on this show before. Mexico was banned from a World Cup in 1990 for using overage players in an underage tournament, something far less serious than what we're talking about here. Do you think it's going to come down to banning Mexico from a World Cup or points deduced? No, points deduced, maybe. But because I think FIFA sees Mexico for what it is, it's a, it's a cash cow when it comes mm. to the footballing culture in this world. It's, it's one of the best traveling uh, teams, national teams in the world. It's one where the ticket sells, you get two different countries that participate in this. Uh, FIFA understands exactly what they have at their disposal with the Mexican national team and the Mexican people, and there's no going away from that. And, and you mentioned the money about what they would lose at the gate. Mm-hmm. How many times have we just seen oh, we'll just add another game in the States, another Juego Molero, and we'll make that money up. So maybe FIFA and CONCACAF are running out of options in terms of what to do with this, Herc. But the Mexican Federation shouldn't be running out of options because they can move these games. So that's really our next question here is, should FMF move these games out of Azteca and take them to a place, as has been reported, like Monterrey? Think so. What do they have to lose? I actually think it might benefit them. Forget about the sporting for a second. We've exhausted this a few weeks in a row where they'll probably be better for it with their European players and not playing in altitude, maybe playing at sea level and less travel, et cetera, et cetera. Moving the game to a city like Monterrey, such a strong, passionate city, you saw what that game was like, America versus Monterrey in the CONCACAF Champions League final. It was an insane atmosphere, state-of-the-art facility, state-of-the-art stadium. Uh, It's also a crowd that's proven it could be better than the current situation. Mm -hmm. The Grita Mexico started out uh, with Tigres, started out with Rayados. They've proven to have a better handle of it than some of the other cities, some of the other plazas, if you will, in Mexican soccer. So it might do them some good to move it. I actually think it behooves them. They might benefit from it, from outside of this whole sanction thing. Yeah, I think it was back in 2019 where Tigres really made kind of that concerted effort. We heard the Tigres chant. And they really effectively had to almost bribe the community, right? It was for every game without a chant, they would rebuild a school um, or something like that. So clearly you have to, you have to motivate people. But, but maybe we should be also rewarding good behavior. If a place like Monterrey has proven that they can have games without this chant, clearly they've, they've earned that distinction. I'm also with you about leaving Azteca. There's something toxic about Azteca. Yeah. Beyond the chant, beyond everything else for this Mexican national team, it, it may be good to just get a break from there. However, remind me again who owns Estadio Azteca? <laughs> Televisa. Mm. So who, who runs the we're coming back to us. We're coming back to Azteca, right? We're coming back. We may back leave for a little do you bit. Know, do you know where the next home game is? Do you know happen to know who the next home game is for El Tri? It's the U.S. Men's National Team. You think they're going to move that game out of Estadio Azteca? No chance. Mm. Okay, uh, we shall see. We shall see. Speaking of a game uh, far less interesting than USA-Mexico, we have Mexico's next Molero just announced for December 8th, Herc, in Austin, where they'll play Chile in a friendly at Q2 Stadium. It is, of course, a non-FIFA date, so we should get a very interesting roster there from Tata. It'll be the fourth international match in Austin at the Q2 since it opened back in June. Now, what I find interesting about this Austin Stadium only holds around 21,000. Remember, they sold 40,000 tickets to a Molero uh, in Charlotte. So a much smaller venue this time around, Her. Much smaller, smaller venue, excuse me, but it's a plaza. It's a location where the Mexican national team isn't used to going. I, I think they're trying to expand their reach, and they're doing a good job of it. And as we know, that's MLS Cup week leading up to the 11th. And, well, 
Austin will definitely not be in that competition, so it's open. December 8th, as we mentioned, non-FIFA date, so Raul Jimenez probably not likely to be included uh, in that roster. However, we're pretty sure he's going to be in the next roster. He would be anyway, but this goal on Monday will surely help. A goal for Wolves and a 2-1 win over Everton. Herc, his first goal at the Molyneux Wolves home stadium in over a year and a beautiful finish. Uh, great ball, too. Nice little ball slipped in. The finish is wonderful, Sebi. It's his 50th goal for Wolves. This is the best part, not the 50th goal. It's how important he is in the construction of these goals. Two goals, two assists this season, 10 appearances. That's 36% of the goals. This man is getting back to the form he once showed us that led many of us to believe he was in the conversation for best nine in the world. Right now, I still I have exagerado. I still exagerado. have, oh no, pre-injury, Raul was legit. He yeah, was maybe in that with your conversation. boys on Football Picante. He was no, in he that was top five, nine in the world. You can't take that away from pre-injury. So you mentioned the nice pass there. Unfortunately, it wasn't from a Wolves player. It was from an Everton player. Ben Godfrey with the, the perfect assist. Wolves, by the way, unbeaten in five. They've won four of their last five in the Premier League. And that was Jimenez's second goal of the Premier League campaign. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Savvy, I'm going to let you take this one. I thought you were telling me Weston McKinney was finished. I thought you were telling me he was done. You were telling me he's not that guy. What happened? He contributed to the Juventus attack in ways which he should. Dominating aerially. All right, Herc, that was on last Monday's edition of Football Americas here on ESPN+. Plus. We were breaking down the Derby d'Italia, weren't we? Uh, Juventus against Inter Milan, Weston McKinney's performance. I said he was not contributing right. enough to Juventus' attack. And in the two Serie A matches since, what has he done? Two goals, right? So and he scored banger. as a starter. And a banger. Uh, against Sassuolo. That was last week. Then he came off the bench against Verona. And you said it. It was a banger. Here it is in the 80th minute. Golazo. It's a very good finish. Takes it off that left foot very quickly. And into quick release. Off the crossbar and in. It's a banger. But it's this type of participation getting into the opposite end of the box, the opponent's box, and finishing off plays, arriving late that makes him so good. Along with that defensive work rate, that box-to-box contribution that he does. I'm telling you, man, this kid, he can do it. He just needs to be consistent, and he's getting there. What did you say about Bruce Serena the other day? When he's right, he's right. Well, you'll say this about Sevi forever. When he's wrong, <laughs> he's wrong. And I can uh, certainly put my hand up here. By the way, Juventus. Lost that game 2-1, now in ninth place. Yeah. So they are currently not in any type of form. But the question for you is, is Weston McKinney right now the U.S. men's national team's most 
informed player heading into these qualifiers against Let Mexico. Let me start by talking about his form because coming off of that, if you will, exile from the U.S. Men's National Team where he was used as a scapegoat by many for the woes of the U.S. Men's National Team, comes to Juventus, uh, Maxi Allegri criticizes him. You almost get the sense that he was ready to ship him off. A total mm. 180 since. He seems to be a guy he's been counting on. Three of the last four games he started, two of those he scored goals and both losing efforts, I understand, very informed. But the most informed right now? No, 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 no. Weston McKinney is doing very good at the right time. U.S. Men's National versus Mexico around the corner in Cincinnati. But the most informed is Mr. Football Americas. That's Brendan Aronson. And it's been, I don't think he's lost that form. He's not gotten out of that zone since the beginning of the season, since the Champions League qualifiers, since preseason when he was banging in goals against Barcelona. In league play, last six games, for assist. If you want to talk about the U.S. Men's National World Cup qualifying, my great man's got two goals, an assist. He seems to be just the guy that's taking and seizing every single moment presented to him. He's the most informed U.S. Men's National Team player at the moment. So I took this question more as who is the U.S. Men's National Team player most likely to score in the upcoming qualifiers, specifically against Mexico? And I'm going to say Weston McKinney, Herc, not just because of these goals, but because I think what is Mexico's great weakness? Dead balls. Defending set pieces. What is Weston McKinney very good at? And what has he been particularly good at against Mexico, thinking back to the Nations League? If I had to pick one American player out of a hat, I'd pick him over Pulisic. I'd pick him over Pepe. I think Weston McKinney is the most likely American to score against Mexico. Do you disagree with me there? Do you still think that's Aronson? Because of Aronson's form with the U.S. men's national team, I if I were to bet who would be involved in a goal participation. Ah, that's different. That's okay. Okay, that's and that different. In, that involves goals as well. I'd bet Aronson, but you're absolutely right. Uh, Mexico has shown a penchant against the United States men's national team not being good on set pieces. And what is Weston's bread and butter? It's arriving late into the box, and it's set pieces mm. and being good in the air. So it's hard to argue there. It's really hard to argue with you on that one, Sebi. Yep. And he's shown and he's shown a good knack for the big yeah. game, too, right? The big moment. Yeah. What, what bigger moment is there for the U.S.? than a game against Mexico in, in World Cup qualifying. There's some more good news here for Greg Berhalter. Not just Weston McKinney scoring, but Christian Pulisic, who last week we saw her return to training with Chelsea. Well, now he's heading off to the game. He is in Chelsea's squad for Champions League action on Tuesday against Malmo from Sweden. Thomas Tuchel confirming that this week. He's a little bit ahead of schedule, Herc. At first, we thought he wouldn't play until the weekend against Burnley, this would seem to have a huge impact on not just how much he can play in the upcoming qualifiers, but the difference he might make for the U.S. It's about getting a minute, seeing how he reacts from that ankle injury. It's a very difficult injury, Sevi. It's one of those where if you don't treat right, you can re-injure again, and it's a discomfort level that's going to be nagging you all season. And you don't want a Christian Pulisic not operating at full level if you're a U.S. Men's National Team player heading into this game versus Mexico. He's a guy that needs to take that responsibility on his shoulders and say, I want to be the Mexico killer like Landon Donovan was with Mexico. U.S., they need him because there's no Gio Reyna. Chelsea needs him too, huh? No Timo Werner, no Lukaku, no Mount. All Reece injured, James. so big opportunity. Big opportunity for Christian Pulisic. Dripping or tripping, the Premier League. They have a new ball hurt for the winter 
months. The images released on Monday. What do you think? That is dripping. That is straight fire. That is sick like the kids say today. Not sick like you boomers use. Not that type of sick, but sick uh -huh. like this is an insane little graphic here. Very comic book style. I love it. Everything about it screams new youth, screams I want it. Uh, if my friends in the Premier League could send us one here at Football Americas, I will gladly take it. I heard one of the reviews was a quote, giant gobstopper. That's what people said. That it looked like Ooh, it's definitely really got some. Wonka? It's got some like cartoon vibes. It's a little bit cheesy, but it is a cool ball. How much in winter months, like in snow, you played in snow classical. How much do you actually need a ball that isn't white? Well, in the snow classical, it's a must, so you can mm -hmm. see the ball. First, and then these Nike balls are great because if you could strike a ball, you could ping these. Mm. When it gets snowy, when it gets wet, they get heavier and they move. Very well. So Nike with a new ball to be used in the Premier League for the winter months. Very cool. Maybe soon we'll see it, Herka, on your mantle. You make good friends at Nike. You'll, you'll send it on over. Let's run it back, Americans Abroad style. Hey, Brendan Aronson, the aforementioned fourth assist of the season across all comps in a 2-2 draw for Red Bull Strasbourg against SV Reed. He just does it all. He's playing centrally for Salzburg. He's playing centrally for his club. He plays on the wing for Greg Berhalter. You can put him anywhere. He will be effective. He will be prolific. This kid is coming into his own. Speaking of coming into your own, same could be said for Joe Scally. An assist for Gladbach and a 2-1 win over Bochum coming off that big cup win over Bayern. You know what the best thing about Joe Scally is? He's getting comfortable in his own skin. Last week against Bayern, he was coming into the end line and he was that secondary assist, seeing the play develop, how it would develop after the next pass. Now we're seeing the early cross. He's getting more facets into his game. He's evolving. Not abroad, but Major League Soccer, Daryl DK, his ninth goal of the MLS season as Orlando City draws 1-1 with Nashville. Ah, uh, look at the celebration. You see that? Do you see the celebration? He's a zombie. Do you know why, Sebi? Us kids, we, we like to celebrate Halloween. This weekend was Halloween. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, it was Halloween. You didn't see me dressed up as a turkey on Instagram? Come on, <laughs> you know see. I was into it. I did see you dressed up as a turkey. DC uh, United, tough loss against Columbus Crew. Hurts the playoff chances, but that's a golazo from Paul Ariola. His sixth this in of the, the season. Ten. I know a lot of fans don't want to see Paul Ariola with the U.S. Men's National Team, but he provides something that few can. You know what that is, Seb? I'll give you a guess. Does it start with a V and end with an urticality? That's right, verticality. He gets in behind, and he can make you pay like that. All right, one more here, CONCACAF-related. Jonathan David, the, quote, best nine in CONCACAF, scoring his eighth of the season for Lille in a 2-1 loss to PSG. Eighth goal of the season. This is against PSG. He's also five goals, five assists for the national team this year. I'm not wrong on this one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. You think our friends at Football Picante are still fighting with you over that one? <laughs> Major League Soccer, the good, the bad, and the ugly. New York City FC, 3-1 winners over Inter-Miami. They clinch a playoff spot 
in the process and hurt do so thanks in large part to the play of Tati Castellanos. He had two goals and an assist against Miami. He has 18 goals for the season, Herc. He leads the golden boot with one more game to go for New York City FC. You think he's going to get it? Oh, look, Kamara, maybe. Yeah, I think Castellanos is going to get it. Tati is on fire. He's in form, but he's just a complete player. Look at the layoff there. The first goal, the way he rolls it to himself and then finishes it. I don't know what New York City paid him. I haven't paid attention to what the actual number was. But this guy is playing at an insane level. And if they're not looking at him at City, if they're not looking at him in Europe, and he's not making that jump soon, I'd be very surprised. Well, remember, we had him on the show earlier this season. It was right after he signed a contract extension with New York City FC. But there had been an approach from a Brazilian club, multi-million dollar offer. New York City FC turned it down. So I'm sure you got a raise on that contract extension alone. The one more game for New York City is against Philly this weekend. So Ooh. that's where the golden boot will be, will be up for grabs. New York City FC, by the way, man, they were in a total tailspin like a month ago. They've now won six, uh, three straight. It's their sixth straight season hurt in the playoffs. And Ronnie Dyla, the Norwegian manager, we always talk about foreign managers coming to MLS and struggling. Ronnie Dyla is the one guy who has not struggled. He's done a very, very good job at New York City FC and has them back in the postseason. So that's the good of the postseason picture. What about the bad? Well, RSL over the weekend, they're, they're basically you know, playing for their postseason spot at home they get an early lead, and then they blow an early lead to San Jose, eventually falling behind 4-1. to one. Now, the end result's a little flattering to RSL. They only lose 4-3, but the loss drops Pablo Mastroeni's team below the playoff line, Herc, with two games left. Those two games home to Portland and away to Sporting Kansas City. So if they don't win those two, they're going to need some help. Yeah, not easy at all. Hey, listen, I should have known something was up in RSL in Salt Lake in 2019 when Craig Weibel, our friend, leaves that team he leaves as a GM to go work for the Seattle Sounders and then it's wow last season uh, the regretful comments from their owner uh, the racist comments this year everything that's been going on with their team Freddie Juarez leaves as a head coach to be an assistant coach with the Seattle Sounders and then on the field they've got some pieces man I don't know why they can't put it together Krylik, Ruznak, Guerrero, Ochoa really surprising from the bad to the ugly, Herc, the ugly this week, the state of refereeing really across Major League Soccer on the weekend. Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota, let's start there. Uh, late in this one, Amadou Dia of Kansas City with a strong foul on Emmanuel Reynoso. It was ruled a yellow, Herc, should it have been a red? A strong foul, that's what you yes. said? <laughs> yes, yeah. that's, that's criminal, that's, that's borderline homicide right there, and then wow. What do you think about this? Orlando Nashville tied 1-1 late. Andres Perea, the goal on the field. At least that's what the ruling first was. Then we go to VAR. Alan Chapman finds a foul on Daryl DK. Uh, did you find a foul, Hurt? Not a clear and obvious one. Mm. I mean, I couldn't, mm. I couldn't tell who pushed you, who kicked who, where one ended, where the other one started. I would have let it go just as is. It's a, definitely a very tight call, but just seems like every week there's something new with pro referees. It just seems like every week, North American soccer, when it comes to the refereeing levels, there's more news. We had The Rock tweeting about Major League Soccer. It was that Tim Melia, uh, Christian Roldan, little suplex, if you will, the, the people's elbow. Then we had Miguel Ayun accusing a, a linesman of, of racism in a friendly. And then we had a game being played again the next day, or no, I think the next week, 
because it was a blown call. It just seems like there's always something going on, Seb. Yeah, do you think this, from a Major League Soccer-specific standpoint, uh, is problematic, right? Is the level of refereeing in MLS letting the league down? I don't think it's symptomatic to only Major League Soccer. Uh, we've seen this in Mexican soccer. We've seen this in Canada. We've seen this all over the world. I don't think it's just exclusively to Major League Soccer, but this doesn't help the level of Major League Soccer. Mm. Yeah, so because it's not just the bad calls, right? It's a lot of the off-the-field stuff. If, if you miss the Tim Melia suplex, fine, but don't tweet about it. You mentioned the Professional Referees Organization, PRO, in trying to explain the Daryl DK foul when they tweeted their explanation, they identified the wrong player. That's embarrassing. Those are things that make you question the professionalism, right? Anybody can miss a call. I think we expect that from time to time. Right. We all get frustrated when the calls don't go your way. It's the other stuff that seems to be like not being able to run a game. Remember the playoff game last year with Orlando, the yes. penalty shootout? I mean, if you can't successfully run a penalty shootout, we do have big problems, Herc. Then it's not just a bad ref. Then it's a system that's not producing good enough refs. Well, does it surprise you? And it, I repeat, it's not just Major League Soccer. It's not just North American yeah. football. This is everywhere around the world that we're constantly talking about. We have VAR now, and they don't know how to use it. It seems like the people who are supposed to be uh, supposed to have it under control, supposed mm -hmm. to be certified to do this, don't have the credentials to do it. Real quick, Herc, is refereeing an MLS better or worse today than it was back when you played? And I'm not, I'm not thinking recently, 2015-16. I'm talking about the early days. I'd say worse because technology has overcomplicated things for the human. Wow. It, it, so it's, and I know yeah. you didn't think MLS refereeing was good back in the day. Not at all. There you go. All right. Where are we headed to next on the show? Ah, uh -oh. Uh -oh. a new segment, a new segment here, Herc, for all of our goalie bloopers. One is the loneliest number, we're calling it. He doesn't wear number one. Toronto FC's Quentin Westberg wears number 16, but he feels awful lonely after this horrible error against Atlanta United. Yeah, Toronto's season has just been a disaster. Quentin uh, Westberg, if I don't... If I'm recalling correctly, the beginning of the season told a French outlet that the team no longer played that possession-based football that they were known for. Uh, well, you want that possession, you got to be good in it, my friend. Boy, that just about sums up Toronto FC's uh, season, doesn't it? Their big, big game for MLS playoff implications come Wednesday, Herc. It's RSL against Portland. We mentioned how big this is for RSL. They basically got a win out. They're eighth right now, Portland in fourth. Just a massive game in the Western Conference. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Herc, so let's transition from Major League Soccer to Liga MX, where it has been not just a bad week, but on this Halloween slash Dia de Muertos combo, I think we could say a frightful week for fans of Club America. Not just the defeat in the CONCACAF Champions League final against Rayados, but then a loss on Sunday in the Clásico Joven 
against Cruz Azul. Now, I know you would love nothing more than to just pile on top of me one-on-one, no. -on -one, but, but I'm not going to sit here and take it just by myself. I, I need some help here. So we're going to bring in a, another person with uh, Americanista leanings to the show on Football Americas, our good friend Mauricio Pedrosa. There he is, Herc's uh, compadre on Ahora Nunca, which you can catch Monday through Friday on ESPN Deportes. All right, Mau, uh, let's start by talking about this CONCACAF Champions League final. And I have to say, as an America fan, it was horribly, yeah. horribly disappointing, right? Monterrey scores nine minutes into this game. And for the next 81 minutes, I got to sit and watch as America offers not little, but no response. What happened in this game? Was Rayados, were they that good? Or were America Whoa. that bad? Híjole, and no, I can't even watch that. Well, um... I think there were some aspects of the collective game of America that, that were really, really bad, really poor. They underperformed. If we compare it to how they were playing before and leading up to this final fight, I, I, I hear you, Sebi, and I worry about you. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely concerned because you are painting a dramatic picture in which, yes, America lost the final. That's not the Club America way. America played bad, that's not the Club America way. But I think you had higher expectations for this team. They're not realistic. This is a good, solid squad. It's not a, it's, no, it's not a I great I expected team. them to be competitive. I didn't expect them to get played off the field. Whoa. Yeah, but I mean, that happens every once in a while. You have to, you have to consider one big thing for this game. The best player of America this season was not a part of the game, and that's Pedro Aquino. And whenever he's not on the field, Club America suffers, and they mm. suffered against Rayados de Monterrey, and they did against Cruz Azul. Now, granted, you can say, hey, this is Club America. If one player is missing, then who's next? Who's the next guy taking that position and performing? They didn't have him. And yes, that's a problem for the team. But I'll say this. The best club overall, best manager, best players, they won the final, and that's, mm. the, and that's the way it goes. Well, in this final, yeah, but here's the more worrying thing if you're a Club America fan. You spoke about sometimes that happens. This type of game seems to happen a lot to Santiago Solari, and in critical moments. We can go back to his Real Madrid days, and Sanz, the Club World Cup, where they played against Kashima Antlers in the semifinal, and Alain FC of uh, Arab Emirates uh, in the final, they won that. They lost to Barcelona in the Copa del Rey. They lost to Ajax in the Champions League. Pachuca last season in the playoffs. You don't think Solari's a good this big game coach? Is that what you're saying? right now, this final against Monterrey in the Champions League, he's proven. He's proven. Mm. Maybe he's a steady coach and he can get you those points. But come this crunch time, come this Liguilla type of atmosphere, come this knockout elimination game, no tiene las tablas. He doesn't have what it takes right now. And this is a very limited America team if we're going by the America teams of the past. By no means is it star power. The star power was on Monterrey's side. And Monterrey, we could say America yeah. played poorly, but Monterrey didn't yeah. play that great. Monterrey missed four or five chances in the final third. They were not sharp at all. It was for a, at least a 3-4-0 type of game from Monterrey. Now, I see Herrick is blaming Santiago Solari for the loss. And I wouldn't go that far. Can we just stop for a second? and re-watch, at least in our mind, that play by Sebastián Cáceres. 
That Oof. was horrible. And when you're playing a final, and in the ninth Who minute, there? a player commits a mistake Who that how do you go back? I mean, I'm I'm pointing the finger at individual performances, player performances. There were there? a lot of players right there that we listen. I will name Henry Martin. I would name Roger Martinez. Uh, this breaks my heart, but I will name Alvaro Fidalgo. They were not up Who to the level of a CONCACAF Cordova, final. where was he? So if you want to blame the manager, he has some part of the blame. But why, why are we not naming players whose performances are very bad? The this were Miguel Herrera, he would be the bad. first name on that list. Because it's Santiago Solari. That's a different Solari. conversation. People Leave Miguel Herrera out of this. He's not there anymore. <laughs> you compare Miguel Herrera. Absolutely. Look, the, the Cáceres whiff is like Bill Buckner type stuff. To do that in a final. I told you this, Herc, before we started taping. Uh, that to me is like a Sunday league error. You said, you said it, it was beyond yeah. Sunday league, but come on. I mean, that's something that, that I don't even see when I play pickup with my dad and he's 72 years old. I've so. seen you play, Seb. Don't lie. You, I, I didn't say I didn't do it, but I don't see it when <laughs> I make the mistake. That's a, that's a different story. Uh, Pedro Aquino, by the way, close to recovery, but between him and Richard Sanchez, they yeah. lost a lot of teeth yeah. in that. Um, in that midfield there. And then you got Rayados coming up again. As an America fan, I'm worried. They could go into Liguilla three losses in a row. That, that very much worries me. But let's transition to Rayados because not only do they win this version of the CONCACAF yeah. Champions League, guys, they have now won two of the last three versions and editions of the CONCACAF Champions League. Mauricio, this begs the question, are they the best club right now in all of CONCACAF? They have the best collection of players and they have a very experienced manager. Sometimes at tournaments like this, where you go back and forth, uh, knockout rounds, and 90 minutes to decide the champion, that experience of the manager, the quality of the players, that will get you trophies. Now, if we speak about a long season like the Mexican Liga MX, that's a different story. But, I mean, how are we going to argue against that? They have been there before. They have won the trophies. They have represented CONCACAF at the highest of levels. So if I have to give you an answer right now, I will say, yes, they are the best team of the area. Yeah, listen, Monterrey has not played in a final of the Club World Cup, but they've won the competition five times in the last 11 years. Shows you their dominance. They have the richest roster in all of CONCACAF. Maybe in all of Latin America, their depth is truly unparalleled when you look at Liga MX. I mean, America has a bad day, and it's Sebastian Cáceres. And then you could say, well, Emma Aguilera is not really playing well. Monterrey has a bad day, and it could be Rogelio Funes Mori, but Maxi Mesa is the goleador when it comes to that tournament. Or it's Johnson, or, or it's, a, or it's a other players. What about Tigres? What about Tigres? Rayal is bigger than Tigres. In CONCACAF Champions League, yes. In CONCACAF... That's a different story because wow. it's where do you put more stock in? You put more stock right in Liga Mekis? Come on, Herc. Do you put more stock on, in Liga Mekis or do you put on. more stock in the CONCACAF Champions League? I ask both of you. Uh, I put more stock in the CONCACAF Champions League because that's what we're talking about now and because I want to hear you well, say you Rayados greater than Tigres. So I'm asking you, what is a more difficult competition, Liga Mekis or CONCACAF Champions League? No, it has to be Liga Mekis. Well, has to be Liga Mekis. Then Tigres is the best team by far because they've yeah, been the best team Sebi, this last Sebi, decade. Do not let Herc... Do not let her corner you to whatever mm -hmm. he feels more comfortable. <laughs> wait a second. And that's speaking wait, Liga wait. MX. Are you telling Sebi to not let me corner him? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He said when, when, when he was giving me the introduction that I was here for him and I have his back yep. and I deal with you every single day. He deals with you 
two days a week. I have to be there for him. All there right, you go. Right. Uh, let's go to the post-match in this game. Quick edition of Are You Cool With It? Because we saw something kind of interesting after this, right? Rayados are getting their medals. And Santiago Solari says, no. America players that headed down the tunnel, wanted to go for a quick shower, didn't want to see the presentation. Nope. You're coming back out here. Uh, Mao, I usually start with you, but I'll start with the player's perspective first here. Hurt. Are you cool with this? The coach telling you to come out and watch the other team get their trophy? Absolutely, be respectful. And actually, this is something that happens in CONCACAF Champions League because in Liga Mekis, they stopped giving out the second place medals for a while because teams, and yes, Mike Tigres, a few players showed on uh, international television being bad sports, taking off the medal, wouldn't put on the medal. Uh, is that really a such a big deal, gestures. taking off the medal? Is that really it's such a big deal? It's just disrespectful. I mean, show some respect to everybody who's participated in this tournament. Old man what you on can his do porch. Is, no, it's not old man <laughs> on your porch. It's the competition, the spirit of the competition. I've got no issue with this, and this is one of the things I enjoy about Santiago Solari. Gentlemen. All right, let me, let me move us along quickly um, here. Let me move us along quickly here because I, wanna, I do want to focus on the coaches. We've talked enough about Solari, though. Let's talk about Javier Aguirre. Do you guys, do you guys remember this? This was April earlier... This oh, year, yeah. when Aguirre Drug got protocol. himself in some hot water, yeah. right, for mm. dancing. This is, a, I think it is, at his son's wedding. People were still getting vaccines. It was very early on um, this year. And so he got in a lot, of, a lot of trouble for this. However, there was a little different type of dancing after he won the CONCACAF Champions League final. Although, if we take a look at the video from after Rayados beating America, We'll see that Mauricio, it's not actually all that different, is it? <laughs> uh, no, it is actually the same. Uh, maybe that's the there only it is. dance Javier Aguirre. Maybe those are his only moves, and if they are his only moves, good for him. Uh, I like it. It feels that that shows me that the team believes in Javier Aguirre. And we all know Javier Aguirre, he's a character. And of course he's doing it because, hey, you got me dancing payaso de rodeo at my son's wedding. I'll do it again in front of the cameras, lifting the trophy. So Aguirre then contributed a lot to America's bad week, but it continued on Sunday, the 2-1 loss to Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul's game winner coming in the 97th minute. There you see it, courtesy Cabecita Rodriguez from the penalty spot. Mauricio Herc in our production meeting was screaming that this was the worst Clásico we've seen so far in Liga MX this season. Do you agree? Mm. No, I don't. Maybe he didn't watch the uh, America Guadalajara of this very same season, nil-nil. At least I saw sparks from Cruz Azul that I hadn't seen before. America tried with the uh, elements and the players that Santiago Solari chose to start this game, but I mean, America Chivas was one of the worst games of the season, worse than this one for sure. No, 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 I won't allow that because there was at least some hype behind it. It almost oh, like this game was, was lost between the, the final. Well, bear with me for a second. It's almost like this game was lost between the CONCACAF Champions League final and it kind of just like, oh, and by the way, you have to play this game. So we almost didn't hear a lot about it. At least there was a lead up to that Clásico Nacional. This was just, man, I don't know about you guys. This was a bore fest. And then the errors, the, the individual errors. I mean, Bruno Valdez gives the ball away. And then Emma Aguilar, in a, an attempt to salvage the play, mm. doesn't give Memo Ochoa a chance at the play and completely kills Orbelin Pineda, uh, breaks his ankle almost, and it's a walk-off penalty kick. It was very subpar. 
performance and, and just overall tactically just a very bad game from both. Mao? So I would say this. The biggest difference in the game was it meant nothing for Club America. They have already Ooh, secured the number one spot in the table, and mm -hmm. it means a lot. It meant a lot for Cruz Azul because they're still trying to finish top four. America didn't, didn't need to win this game, and I think the line of the starting 11 proved again that Santiago Solari's resting players for La Liguilla, for the playoffs. This game meant nothing for Club America. Sadly, some of the players played and performed as such. Big win for Cruz Azul. You mentioned top four. They could finish second if, uh, if they win and results go their way the rest of the way. So, cuidado ahí uh, con la máquina, who are, of course, the uh, defending champions there of Mexican football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one hurts. That one hurts. That one hurts for sure. All right, Dia de los Muertos, Herc. Let's debut a new segment here. Dead or alive? Let's start with a look at the table as it stands in Liga Mekis. Of course, the top four teams we know go to the quarterfinals directly. Five through 12 go to the repechaje or playoffs. All right, so let's pick three teams out of a hat. Let's start with Rayados, your newly crowned CONCACAF Champions League winners. They currently sit seventh. They've got America again on Saturday. Mao, dead or alive? Rayados. Alive, but barely alive. I watched the whole game against the powerhouse Atletico de San Luis, my hometown <laughs> team, of course. And, I mean, they had nothing to show for. Uh, they, they, they scored early, goal that was then disallowed. San Luis controlled the game, and I was really surprised because that San Luis team had three big absences, players not being there at the highest of levels. So they are still alive, but barely. They have to show me a lot more against America in the final game of the regular season. One, they play America in the final game of the season, who's limping in to this final stage of Liga Mekis. They've already beaten them once, so they've got the mental edge. And you almost saw this coming against Atlético San Luis, uh, because this is a team that just won a final. They still have that mental hangover going in to this final leg against, or I should second to final leg against uh, Atletico de San Luis. So I saw this coming. This is a team that when they're physically fit and they're focused, I think will beat America again. <laughs> I think they're more alive than anything. They're, what, three points away from fourth place right now? They could potentially get to second place. Or, no, I'm sorry. But they could get to fourth place. I think they're more alive than any team we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I don't know who wants to play Rayados in the, in the Liguilla, in Repechaje or anywhere. They're going to be really tough to beat. Let's move on to a team that I think we all would classify as less difficult to beat, and that's Chivas, who currently sit 12th. Now, they finished the season against Mazatlan, so a little nicer draw there to uh, end the campaign. They lost 2-1 to Tigres over the weekend. Mao, Chivas, dead or alive? Dead. And I think the funeral already took place for Chivas Rayadas de Guadalajara. Um, they had a chance against Tigres. They didn't play that bad against Tigres, but in the end, they still lost. And this is a team lacking chemistry, lacking leadership, and I don't see how they're still gonna be able to reach that 12th spot because they have a couple of teams that have uh, still points in the table. And man, if, if they don't reach the top 12, what does this mean for Ricardo mm. Peláez, for Leaño, for Vergara? I think they're dead. Yeah, you know who they're playing against? Mazatlán, who currently, currently sits in 11th place, one position ahead of them. So they're pretty much playing 
for that repechaje spot uh, versus uh, Mazatlán in Chivas. Maybe there is somewhat of a change in play where it looks better between the boxes, but it's even worse in the final third. They're the second worst offensive team in the league, only behind 12 goals scored, only behind Querétaro, who's one of the absolute worst teams. And yes, the producer is correct. Alexi, <laughs> Alexis Vega will be back. That's not a guarantee for goals. And this is the thing with, with the Chivas. They're not going to go play away at Mazatlan for that final spot, and nothing's guaranteed. I, I think Mal's spot on this one. I, I see a funeral coming. Quickly, Mao, because you mentioned Ricardo Pelaz. I mean, this is one of the top executives yeah. in Mexican football. Having the Chivas job is a big, big job. If they don't make the playoffs, do you think he's gone? Yes. I think he either will be fired or he will resign. Listen, the fact that he had to hold that press conference announcing Leaño as the interim manager and repeating and being very emphatic with the interim Entering uh-huh. tag tells me he's no longer in control. So, and even if they don't make el repechaje, the top 12, how can you justify him staying? It would be a big, massive failure for all the amount of money that Ricardo Pelaez has spent in the past couple of years. Sebi, let's be honest. Ricardo Pelaez probably doesn't want Michel Leaño there as his first choice interim, mm. but the owner does. And under this current owner, He's got the worst efficiency, points-wise, percentage-wise, of any manager since Amari Vegara took over. Chivas very much a fallen grande. I think we could probably say the same of our good friends Arunam Pumas, who currently sit 14th in the Mexican League. Now, they have two games left. Midweek against Santos and then finishing up against Cruz Azul. Mao, what do you think? Pumas, dead or alive? Oh, man, they look like the zombie, right? We thought they were dead already, but they're still coming back to life. But I don't think it will be enough. Uh, The teams that Pumas beat recently, because they have great form, but Pachuca, Tijuana, Leon, not necessarily the top contenders in the Mexican League. And as you mentioned, facing Santos will be in the playoffs. Facing Cruz Azul, who's still fighting for that top four spot. I think it would be very hard for them. I don't think Pumas makes it to the repechaje. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Two very difficult teams who are going to be contenders once they're in the playoff structure. And here's the worst part. We're talking dead or alive. Theoretically, 16 of the 18 teams are still alive. So you have to think that, yes, Pumas may have a chance, but so does everybody else, which makes it that much more difficult for a team like Pumas. I don't think this team has what it takes to make it into the repechaje, one of those 12 teams. This is just a dead project in my eyes. Well, they don't call us giant killers for nothing here on Football Americas. There you have it, uh, Puma, sentenced to a postseason without Ligia. That'll do it for this segment. Mauricio Pedrosa, as always, thanks, and we'll see you soon here on the show. Adios, amigos. Perk, last weekend of the National Women's Soccer League regular season, Washington Spirit closing out the campaign with a 1-0 victory over the Houston Dash on Sunday. The loss eliminated Houston from playoff contention. It leaves the Spirit with a nine-game unbeaten streak heading into the playoffs. They finished with the three-seed, which means a showdown with the six-seed North Carolina Courage next Sunday. Your game winner from none other than Trinity Rodman in the 76th minute, her sixth goal of the season to go along with six assists. Great rookie campaign for her. Meanwhile, Gotham FC 
drawing 1-1 against Racing Louisville on Sunday in New Jersey. It was, of course, Carly Lloyd's last regular season, regular season game. And, of course, as if anybody had any doubts, she did score the opener for Gotham FC. There you see the snap-down header in the 53rd minute. That was the only goal for Carly Lloyd and Gotham FC in the game as they end up drawing 1-1 with Racing Louisville. So how does that leave the bracket as we head to the postseason? Again, six teams in this year. Portland and O.L. Reign will get your first round buys. That means Washington hosting North Carolina Courage and Chicago hosting Gotham FC. Shout out to Kansas City. Uh, as well. They've got a new name for their team, Kansas City Current. For more on the NWSL as we get ready for the postseason, let's welcome in Julie Foudy, former World Cup and Olympic champion with the U.S. Women's National Team. Julie, I want to talk all about the playoffs and the teams that are left in, but you know me, I'm more of an, of an individual kind of guy. So let's talk about the MVP race here, because <laughs> in the history of the NWSL, the MVP race has always almost gone to the Golden Boot winner, right? We got plenty of, right. of big goal scores this year. Your Golden Boot, of course, uh, is Ashley Hatch. However, uh, there are some other players who maybe do more of the grunt work. I'm thinking of players like a Jessica Fishlock with O.L. Rayner and Andy Sullivan with the Washington Spirit. Who do you think will end up being the, the MVP of the NWSL this year? A Golden Boot contender or a grinder? I like that you're giving our midfielders a lot of love there, Sebastian. Mm -hmm. They never get the love. It's usually the goal scorers all the time. Herc Remind me this. what position you play, Julie? Um, yeah, I midfielder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's very important to give midfielders some love. Um, I do I do like the Andy Sullivan um, uh, idea in there as MVP. I don't think it necessarily will go, and as you said, it's only the second time ever if it doesn't, go to one of the – top scorers in the league. Um, and I do think Jess Fishlock has had a great year as well with O.L. Reign. However, I would like to start a new tradition and give it to a trio because I think the trio of Ashley Hatch, Sanchez, and Trinity Rodman for the Washington Spirit is tremendous. I mean, those three, which is why eventually we're going to talk about this as well, I think those three are the dark horse uh, to go into all of this because of what they bring. So, um, but I would like to see a midfielder get it, and I think it will be um, maybe an Andy Sullivan is going to mm. be my vote. Well, see, Sebi might be in an individual type of guy, but I'm a team-first type of guy, and I actually wanted to ask you about the dark horse. You've already answered. So why isn't it a team like Gotham FC who may be playing for Carly Lloyd this season? I Washington Spirit, unbelievable. Nine unbeaten getting into uh, th this playoff. Yeah. Tell me why it's the Washington Spirit then. Because of that trio. And then you have Andy Sullivan sitting in behind them. Uh, and then you have Bledsoe and Goal, who's having a great year. So they, they up the spine are so good. And then on top of that, and I know all the turmoil that Washington Spirit has faced this year. It's almost as if, and, and their record since Richie Burke is gone has been six wins, three draws, zero losses. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if it has hardened them, all this hardship. And that's not even counting the two games they had to forfeit, right? And they right. still have been so good since August, since Burke has been gone. And as if the hardship hasn't played enough of a toll as what all these players have gone through in NWSL, the Washington spirit on top of that has had all these ownership challenges, have you know written the letter saying Steve Baldwin, uh, sorry, Steve Baldwin should be out. And yet um, they are just crushing it and they're bringing it together. And so I do think that trio in particular have been so good for them. Um, and they're, they're playing really well going into this stretch.
I'm not going to fight you over the spirit as a dark horse pick, uh, certainly as a Washington guy. Uh, however, I'll give a shout to the Chicago Red Stars here. Six straight season making the playoffs in the mm-hmm. NWSL. That's awfully impressive. You've got Kalia Watto high. You've got Mallory Pugh. So no shortage of speed there. I think Chicago could be uh, maybe a dark horse contender as well. Let's talk about the two teams, though, that have pretty much, Julie, dominated the regular season. Of course, we had Portland Thorns winning the Shield, but O.L. Reign wasn't far behind, just two points back of Portland when it was all said and done. When you yeah. look at the, at the NWSL playoffs, who is your real favorite to win it all between these two? Uh, well, I think the hottest team not named Washington Spirit is obviously O.L. Reign. So I, I actually would pick O.L. Reign because wow. they've been – and then they had, a, they had a rough start to the season, but they have been so good. I think their only loss in the last ten games has been to the Washington Spirit. And as we know, as we talked about Jess Fishlock, they're chock full of talent. They're playing well. So I think the O.L. Reign could, in the end, as good as Portland has been defensively and as much talent as they have as well, I think O.L. Reign, um, and they have Megan Rapinoe, who, uh, as we know, we don't know how much time she has left. She would love to get an NWSL title under her belt. So um, I think the O.L. Reign could be the ones to pull it off. But who knows? This has been such a chaotic NWSL season, as we know. It's craziness. Uh, every single week. And I think that's the exciting part as you head into this playoffs. Take that, Sevy. Take that in your Portland-loving ways. <laughs> hey, come on. You know, I got uh, plenty of love, plenty of love for the Portland Thorns here on Football Americas. All right, Julie Fowdy, you can catch her on Laughter Permitted. Great podcast. She's got always has great soccer guests on there as well. Julie, thanks so much. Great to have you here on the show with us. No problem. Great to see you guys. All right, Herc, former members of the Vancouver Whitecaps women's team are demanding that CONCACAF suspend its president, Victor Montagliani, until an independent investigation into Canada soccer's failure to deal with allegations of abuse against Bob Berarda, who was Canada's under-20 women's national team coach, while Montagliani was director of national teams, uh, is complete. By the way, Montagliani is also... FIFA vice president, Herc, so this could have very serious ramifications moving forward, not just in terms of CONCACAF, but in terms of FIFA as well. Other news, Kansas City's NWSL team have a new name and a new logo as well. The rebrand complete, going to be known moving forward as the Kansas City Current. Very cool announcement. It was actually announced at halftime of their last game of the season. This, of course, on the heels of the news last week that they're going to get a new stadium built just for the current to open in 2024. Exceptionally exciting times uh, in the women's soccer story in the city of Kansas City. The Kansas City Current. New name, new look. In steps Gaga Slonita, the youngest homegrown signing in the history of Chicago Fire, 17 years old. This year so far for NYCFC, Castellanos had a look in. Gaga Slonita with his first professional save. Edge of the area, good strikes. Lunina had to readjust. Two wins in a row, a clean sheet for Gagas. Gagas Lunina, 17-year-old goalie for the Chicago Fire, joins us here on Football Americas. Gaga, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. 
So let's talk about this, your, your first season in Major League Soccer. In your wildest dreams, would you have imagined having a campaign this strong year one? You know, I always believed in myself from the start. I think it's uh, it was good that the time came now and, you know, I'm using it to my advantage and getting every opportunity I can and, you know, squeezing the most out of it. But I think I was always always preparing for this moment and giving my all every day in training, every day in uh, everyday life, you know, outside of training, making sure I'm doing the right things. So I think, you know, it's I always believed in myself and this moment's amazing that it came, but I think that I was prepared for it and uh, always put in the work to make sure that the opportunity I get, I take good care of it. You know, usually we do these interviews and I like to kind of go back through guys, long playing careers, pick out some moments, maybe like where it started. For you, it's a little bit different, right? You're 17, but let's let's do that. But the beginnings of your, of your soccer career, what's the very first memory for you of soccer? What's kind of your introduction to the game? You know, I think I've been playing soccer my whole life since I was about three years old, you know, growing up with the local hometown team. And, you know, just trying out positions, not even knowing what, what I liked yet. But I think I just, the love for the game grew as I started to play with my friends and learn that how much I love the game, learn more about it and everything. So, yeah, I think once I started to play goalkeeper, I realized that this is the position that, you know, I excel at and I want to I wanna continue to uh, to continue to do uh, play and as, as I go throughout my career. And I think, yeah, I just fell in love with it. And, yeah, I think it's it's been amazing ever since. Why goalie? I mean, you hear so many people who, who coming up through the game, they want to stay away from the goalie position, but but you gravitated towards it. Yeah, I think it was just something about, you know, everyone everyone wants to score the perfect goal, but I think something inside me just wants to save the perfect shot, you know, make that perfect save. And I think that that um, that mentality of you're all alone back there is, is something that, that sticks with me, sticks out to me, you know. I like to be... I like to have the game on the line, you know, make a big save, make a huge save. And, you know, it's a tough position because everyone will remember the one mistake you make and not the, you know, 10 saves you could have made before that. But, yeah, I think I was always a bigger child. So I think um, I was taller, you know, I was bigger than everyone else. So I think being in goal and covering that goal and just looking like a monster and being a huge presence is, is something that, that I really love. What's it like when you get that first call, when they tell you, hey, you're going to be the starting goalie for the Chicago Fire first team? Yeah, you know, it's 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 absolutely amazing because all that work you put in before is it, it almost feels like it pays off. But, you know, you have to stay ready, stay focused, stay calm, know that you've prepared for this moment because you have to it's it's difficult to say, but you have to play good once you get that chance. You have to prove you're ready and make sure and show to the coaches and your teammates that they can trust in you back there because obviously being a goalkeeper you have to be reliable you have to be safe you have to make sure to give your teammates confidence that they can play you back or you can make a big save if you need to but yeah once when you get that first call up it's obviously uh you get those butterflies in your stomach you know like wow i'm really gonna be starting tomorrow especially your first your first game in the mls so yeah it's, it's pretty amazing the season's gone well for you on an individual basis, right? But if we look at it from the team perspective, it maybe hasn't gone to plan. What's the season been like for you, especially, you know, knowing that you're out of the playoffs uh, in, in Major League Soccer? Yeah, you know, obviously it was a pretty difficult season for us, but I think, you know, we started to pick it up again at the end of the season, which is good to carry into the 2021 MLS season. But I think, yeah, obviously it was a pretty difficult season, you know, or the results weren't there for us, but I think, you know, it's about how you can better yourself and prepare for the next one. So I think it, I think we did really well and, you know, always staying in the moment and giving our all every single game because, you know, that's what's most important. What can you learn from 
from this season and how can you use it to better yourself because you know that's the that's the main goal to constantly uh, improve and get better and learn so I think yeah you know obviously it was a it was a difficult season and individually you know it's 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 good what I've done and the performances I put in but obviously you want the team to perform first and foremost first and foremost so I think yeah it's all about the team and making sure that we can improve and be better next season let's talk about some of your big picture goals you said at one point that you want to be you know one of the best goalies in the world I'm assuming that would mean a move to Europe how would you feel about a move overseas yeah you know obviously you know it's it's a it's a long way from now and I think you know the focus is just going to be on helping the fire next season and this next game coming up because you know being in the moment is just what's most important but you know we don't know what the future holds right now but you know obviously you know I strive to want to be the greatest goalkeeper in the world so I think I'm just going to keep putting in that work and making sure that I take the right steps into that direction every single day. What about at the international level? Do you ever think about the senior national team? Yeah, you know, I'm, it's going to be a difficult choice because I'm not really decided with what uh, pathway I want to go into, but it's just going to be all about where I feel most comfortable, you know, what, what play style fits me and everything. But obviously I want to be a starter for a senior national team. You know, that's, that's every kid's dream, you know, playing or representing a country. So I think, yeah, you know, it's obviously, again, like I said, putting in that work every single day, just make sure I'm taking care of the things I need to take care of every single day. Where are you in that decision? Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 50-50 right now, you know, I'm not I'm not leaning one way or to another, you know, I'm trying to be smart about it with with what I like on social media and everything because, you know, people will 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 try to get anything from anything they can, you know, what what like you put on a post or something like that. So I think yeah, you know, it's just it's just about being smart and making sure that people know that I'm not leaning one way or to another, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult choice, but it's obviously it's part of a career and you need to make it. Do you put your like a self on a timetable for something like that? Um, honestly, I haven't really uh, put myself on a timetable or anything like that. You know, I'm kind of just in between right now, not making sure. Um, because honestly, I'm not really thinking about the future or anything like that. Because I need to first put in the performances to make sure I get you know a call up to the senior national team. And you know, if I'm thinking about the future, I can't be present in the moment here, so I won't be able to get my best performance in every match when when senior national teams are watching so I think yeah just 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 focusing on right now people have high hopes for Chicago you know you got a great setup a great stadium rebranding all that stuff going on around the team like what do you think Chicago Fire can be in the near distant in the near future in MLS yeah I'm super excited for the for the future of the club as well you know I, I love the new logo I love what we've done with moving to the city and making sure that you know we're engaging in a lot of cultures and making sure that our fans are engaging with us i think i think the fire is, is heading in the really right direction and i think in the next near future it's going to be a really big club and really exposing bringing a lot of fans to the to the games and everything so yeah i'm pretty excited about what the fire holds gaga let's go through some quick hitters on your chicago fire teammates who is the best trash talker in the group Oh, the best trash talker. I'd probably have to say uh, Alvaro Madron. He's always, every time we take penalties after after trainings or something like that, whenever he scores, he always has to say something to me, you know? It's, yeah, he's, he's a good one. He gets under the skin. Who spends the most time on Instagram? Most time on Instagram. I got to give it to Chino. Chino's 04. 
always see him scrolling, liking posts on that Instagram. Does he have the best Instagram profile or is it somebody else that actually has the best profile? Uh, you know, his, his profile is good. His profile is all right. Honestly, I'd have to, I'd have to go through all the all the guys' profiles to see to really pick out a, a favorite one. Who has the best sneaker game on the team? Oh, best sneaker game, uh, Stanislav. He's got a he's got an amazing sneaker game. Always coming in with with nice kicks. That wasn't even close. You didn't even hesitate. Yeah, he's he's got a good one. Chino 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 also has some good kicks. Who's the best gamer? Oh, the best gamer. I probably have to give that to to Javier Casas or Brian Gutierrez. I think they I think they like to play some FIFA. I think they're pretty good at it. What's your FIFA skill like? My FIFA skill? Oh, terrible. I don't I, I used to play but I don't play anymore, you know. I I'd, I'd get I'd get smoked if I played against one of them. Not good. Do you ever do you ever look at your FIFA rating? What do you think about it when it came out? Uh, I saw it. You know, I, I think it was a 55. I mean, obviously, I'm not expecting anything high. You know, it was my first my first time in FIFA, so obviously, it's always going to be a little bit low. Yeah, but still pretty cool to see, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm so excited. I'm just in the game. You know, so grateful. That's incredible. Gagas Lanina, man, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you here on Football Americas and continued success uh, in the beginnings of what for sure will be a long career. Thank you. Thank you for having me. There he is, Gagas Lanina, 17 years old. Herc, where were you at 17? Actually, you know what? Don't. I don't want to know. I don't know what you were. Uh, want to know what you were doing at, at 17? I was working at a bank. Wow. Okay. <laughs> not, you had a, not playing professionally, that's for sure. You had a better job than I did. I was working at Blockbuster at 17. So, uh, so ah, there we have it. That was it. my job at 16. It, Hollywood it, video. Yeah. Right. Funny. Both of those are now out of business. Probably has something to do with us uh, working there. Any big takeaways from the interview there with Gaga Slanina? I mean, obviously the topic of dual nationals came yeah. up. He does have Polish heritage, so there is a choice looming for that young man. There is a choice looming. The, the hefty goals, he not only talks about joining the program, but starting for a program, you know, potentially mm -hmm. playing a World Cup in a program. And our producer mentioned it, the quotes. I mean, I, I assume that's his parents' house. I, I can't imagine <laughs> right, he's living right. by himself at age 17. But the quotes around his room, what I assume is his room, motivational quotes. He seems to have a good head on his shoulder, seems to know what he wants. And I couldn't help but thinking when I'm watching the Brito, I've seen him play he looks like a big kid, especially yep. next to you. I mean, you make him look a lot bigger. But his face, you can very much see, Seb, he's very much a kid. He's a teenager. He's 17. It just blows yep. my mind. Did you see how I had my hair very poofed up there to give me a, a little I, bit I more height? It. I saw he it. Is, yeah. He is six foot four, by the way, at 17. You know, kids that are that tall, they're not done growing at 17. If this kid ends up being 6'5 or 6'6, her whew. Look at—he already knows he's a monster. You heard him talk about it in that interview. But if he gains a couple more uh, inches of height, he could be a real handful for not just MLS strikers, but maybe strikers on the international level. But we'll still be talking about this show later in the week. We'll be back on Thursdays. We're working on some special, special stuff. We expect rosters to be dropped this week as well. And if you want to listen to the show, of course, you can do so for free via the podcast. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Thanks for watching this edition of Football Americas. We'll see you in 72 hours here on ESPN+.
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.